Book One, Chapter Three of Corporal Cameron of the Northwest Mounted Police, A Tale of the McLeod Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. Corporal Cameron of the Northwest Mounted Police, Book One, Chapter Three, The Family Solicitor. The senior member of the legal firm of Ray and McPherson was perplexed and annoyed indeed angry, and angry chiefly because he was perplexed. He resented such a condition of mind as reflecting upon his legal and other acumen. Angry, too, he was, because he had been forced to accept, the previous day, a favor from a firm, Mr. Ray would not condescend to say a rival firm, with which he for thirty years had maintained only the most distant and formal relations, to wit, the firm of Tomlinson and Shields. Messrs. Ray and McPherson were family solicitors, and for three generations had been such, Hence they gathered about the firm a fine flavor of assured respectability, which only the combination of solid integrity and undoubted antiquity can give. Messrs. Ray and McPherson had not yielded in the slightest degree to that commercializing spirit, which would transform a respectable and self-respecting firm of family solicitors into a mere financial agency, a transformation which Mr. Ray would consider a degradation of an ancient and honorable profession." This uncompromising attitude toward the commercializing spirit of the age had doubtless something to do with their losing the solicitorship for the Bank of Scotland, which went to the firm of Tomlinson and Shields, to Mr. Ray's keen, though unacknowledged, disappointment. A disappointment that arose not so much from the loss of the very honorable and lucrative appointment, and more from the fact that the appointment should go to such a firm as that of Tomlinson and Shields. For the firm of Tomlinson and Shields were of recent origin, without ancestry, boasting an existence of only some thirty-five years, and, as one might expect of a firm of such a recent origin, characterized by the commercializing modern spirit in its most pronounced and objectionable form. Mr. Ray, of course, would never condescend to hostile criticism, dismissing Messrs. Tomlinson and Shields from the conversation with a single remark, pushing, sir, very pushing indeed. It was then no small humiliation for Mr. Ray to be forced to accept a favor from Mr. Tomlinson. Had it been any other than Cameron, he said to himself, as he sat in his somewhat dingy and dusty office, I would let him swither, but Cameron, I must see to it and at once. Behind the name there rose before Mr. Ray's imagination a long line of brave men and fair women, whose name and fame, and for whose good estate, it had been his duty, and the duty of those who had preceded him in office, to assume responsibility. Young fool! Much he cares for the honor of his family. I wonder what's at the bottom of this business. Looks ugly. Decidedly ugly. The first thing is to find him. A messenger had failed to discover young Cameron at his lodgings, and had brought back the word that, for a week, he had not been seen there. He must be found. They have given me till to-morrow." I cannot ask a further stay of proceedings. I cannot, and I will not. It made Mr. Ray more deeply angry that he knew quite well, if necessity arose, he would do just that very thing. Then there is his father coming in this evening. We simply must find him. But how and where? Mr. Ray was not unskilled in such a matter. Find a man, find his friends, he muttered. Let's see. What does the young fool do? What are his games? Ah, football. I have it. Young Dunn is my man. Hence, to young Dunn, forthwith, Mr. Ray betook himself. It was still early in the day when Mr. Ray's mild, round, jolly, clean-shaven face beamed in upon Mr. Dunn, who sat with dictionaries, texts, and class notebooks piled high about him. 
burrowing in that mound of hidden treasure which it behooves all prudent aspirants for university honors to diligently mine as the fateful day approaches with mr dunn time had now come to be measured by moments and every moment golden but the wrathful impatience that had gathered in his face at the approach of an intruder was overwhelmed in astonishment at recognizing so distinguished a visitor as mr ray the writer ah mr dunn said mr ray briskly a moment only one moment i assure you well do i know the rage which boils behind that genial smile of yours don't deny it sir have i not suffered all the pangs with just a week before the final ordeal this is your final i believe i hope so said mr dunn somewhat ruefully yes yes and a very fine career a career befitting your father's son and i sincerely trust sir that as your career has been marked by honour your exit shall be with distinction and all the more that i am not unaware of your achievements in another department of uh, shall i say endeavour i have seen your name sir mentioned more than once to the honour of our university in athletic events at this point mr ray's face broke into a smile an amazing smile was mr ray's amazing both in the suddenness of its appearing and in the suddenness of its vanishing upon a face of supernatural gravity without warning without beginning the smile broad full and effulgent was instantaneously present then equally without warning and without fading the smile ceased to be under its effulgence the observer unfamiliar with mr ray's smile was moved to a responsive geniality of expression but in the full tide of this emotion he found himself suddenly regarding a face of such preternatural gravity as rebuked the very possibility or suggestion of geniality before this smile mr ray's face was like a house with the shutters up and the family plunged in gloom when the smile broke forth every shutter was flung wide to the pouring sunlight and every window full of flowers and laughing children then instantly and without warning the house was blank lifeless and shuttered once more leaving you helplessly apologetic that you had ever been guilty of the fatuity of associating anything but death and gloom with its appearance to young mr dunn it was extremely disconcerting to discover himself smiling genially into a face of the severest gravity and eyes that rebuked him for his untimely levity oh i beg pardon exclaimed mr dunn hastily i thought not at all sir replied mr ray as i was saying i have observed from time to time the distinctions you have achieved in the realm of athletics and that reminds me of my business with you to-day a sad business a serious business i fear the solemn impressiveness of mr ray's manner awakened in mr dunn an awe amounting to dread it is young cameron a friend of yours i believe sir cameron sir echoed dunn yes cameron does he or does he not have a place on your team dunn sat upright and alert yes sir what's the matter sir first of all do you know where he is i have tried his lodgings he is not there it is important that i find him to-day extremely important in fact it is necessary in short mr dunn i believe i can confide in your discretion if i do not find him to-day the police will to-morrow the police sir dunn's face expressed an awful fear in the heart of the respectable briton the very mention of the police in connection with the private life of any of his friends awakens a feeling of gravest apprehension no wonder mr dunn's face went pale the police he said a second time what for mr ray remained silent if it is a case of debts sir suggested mr dunn why i would gladly mr ray waved him aside it is sufficient to say mr dunn that we are the family solicitors 
as we have been for his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather before him. Oh, certainly, sir, I beg pardon, Mr. Dunn said hastily. Not at all. Quite proper. Does you credit. But it is not a case of debts, though it is a case of money. In fact, sir, I feel sure I may venture to confide in you. He is in trouble with his bank, the Bank of Scotland. The young man, or someone using his name, has been guilty of, uh, well, an irregularity, a decided irregularity, an irregularity which the bank seems inclined to, um, to follow up. Indeed, I may say, instructions have been issued through their solicitors to that effect. Mr. Tomlinson was good enough to bring this to my attention, and to offer a stay of proceedings for a day. "'Can I do anything, sir?' asked Dunn. "'I'm afraid I've neglected him.' The truth is, I've been in an awful funk about my exams, and I haven't kept in touch as I should. Find him, Mr. Dunn. Find him. His father is coming to town this evening, which makes it doubly imperative. Find him. That is, if you can spare the time. Of course I can. I'm awful sorry I've lost touch with him. He's been rather down all this winter. In fact, ever since the International, he seems to have lost his grip of himself. Ah, indeed, said Mr. Ray. I remember that occasion. In fact, I was present myself, he admitted. I occasionally seek to renew my youth. Mr. Ray's smile broke forth, but anxiety for his friend saved Mr. Dunn from being caught again in any responsive smile. Bring him to my office, if you can, any time today. Goodbye, sir. Your spirit does you credit. But it is the spirit which I should expect in a man who plays the forward line as you play it. Mr. Dunn blushed crimson. Is there anything else I could do? anyone I could see. I mean, for instance, could my father serve in any way? Ah, a good suggestion, Mr. Ray seized his right ear, a characteristic action of his when in deep thought, twisted it into a horn, and pulled it quite severely, as if to assure himself that that important feature of his face was firmly fixed in its place. A very good suggestion. Your father knows Mr. Sherratt, the manager of the bank, I believe. Very well, sir, I think, answered Mr. Dunn. I am sure he would see him. Shall I call him in, sir? nothing of the sort nothing of the sort don't think of it i mean let there be nothing formal in this matter if mr dunn should chance to meet mr sherratt that is casually so to speak and if young cameron's name should come up and if mr dunn should use his influence his very great influence with mr sherratt the bank might be induced to take a more lenient view of the case i think i can trust you with this mr ray shook the young man warmly by the hand beamed on him for one brief moment with his amazing smile presented to his answering smile a face of unspeakable gravity, and left him extremely uncertain as to the proper appearance for his face under the circumstances. Before Mr. Ray had gained the street, Dunn was planning his campaign, for no matter what business he had in hand, Dunn was always worked by plan. By the time he himself had reached the street, his plan was formed. No use trying his digs. Shouldn't be surprised if that beast Potts has got him. Rotten bounder, Potts, and worse— better go round his way. And oscillating in his emotions between disgust and rage at Cameron for his weakness and his folly, and disgust and rage at himself for his neglect of his friend, Dunn took his way to the office of the insurance company, which was honoured by the services of Mr. Potts. The insurance company knew nothing of the whereabouts of Mr. Potts. Indeed, the young man who assumed responsibility for the information appeared to treat the very existence of Mr. Potts as a matter of slight importance to his company, so slight, indeed, that the company had not found it necessary, either to the stability of its business, or to the protection of its policyholders, a prime consideration with insurance companies, 
to keep in touch with Mr. Potts. That gentleman had left for the East Coast a week ago, and that was the end of the matter as far as the clerk of the insurance company was concerned. At his lodgings, Mr. Dunn discovered an even more callous indifference to Mr. Potts and his interests. The landlady, under the impression that in Mr. Dunn she beheld a prospective lodger, at first received him with that deferential reserve which is the characteristic of respectable lodging-house keepers in that city of respectable lodgers and respectable lodging-house keepers. When, however, she learned the real nature of Mr. Dunn's errand, she became immediately transformed. In a voice shrill with indignation, she repudiated Mr. Potts and his affairs, and seemed chiefly concerned to re-establish her own reputation for respectability, which she seemed to consider as being somewhat shattered by that of her lodger. Mr. Dunn was embarrassed both by her volubility and by her obvious determination to fasten upon him a certain amount of responsibility for the character and conduct of Mr. Potts. "'Do you know where Mr. Potts is now, and have you any idea when he may return?' inquired Mr. Dunn, seizing a fortunate pause. "'Am I no just telling ye?' cried the landlady, in her excitement reverting to her native south-country dialect. "'That I keep nay con to Mr. Potts' stravagance.' and as to his return, I ken naithin about that, and care less. He's paid what he's been owing me these three months, and that's all I care about him. I'm glad to hear that, said Mr. Dunn heartily. And glad I am, tay, for it's feared I was for my pay a month back. When did he pay up? inquired Mr. Dunn, scenting a clue. A week come Saturday, or was it Friday? The day he came in with a young man, a friend of his. And a night they made of it, I remember, replied the landlady, recovering command of herself and of her speech under the influence of Mr. Dunn's quiet courtesy. "'Did you know the young man that was with him?' "'Yes, it was young Cameron. He had been coming about a good deal.' "'Oh, indeed. Have you seen Mr. Cameron since?' "'No, he never came except in company with Mr. Potts.' And with this faint clue Mr. Dunn was forced to content himself, and to begin a systematic search of Cameron's haunts in the various parts of the town." It was Martin, his little quarterback, that finally put him on the right track. He had heard Cameron's pipes not more than an hour ago at his lodgings on Morningside Road. "'But what do you want of Cameron these days?' inquired the young Canadian. "'There's nothing on just now, is there, except this infernal grind?' Dunn hesitated. "'Oh, I just want him. In fact, he has got into some trouble.' "'There you are,' exclaimed Martin in disgust. "'Why in thunder should you waste your time on him?' You've taken enough trouble with him this winter already. It's his own funeral, ain't it? Dunn looked at him a half a moment in surprise. Well, you can't go back on a fellow when he's down, can you? Look here, Dunn, I've often thought I'd give you a little wise advice. This sounds bad, I know, but there's a lot of blamed rot going around this old town just on this point. When a fellow gets on the bum and gets into a hole, he knows well that there'll be a lot of people tumbling over each other to get him out, Hence he deliberately and cheerfully slides in. If he knew he'd have to scramble out himself, he wouldn't be so blamed keen to get in. If he's in a hole, let him frog it for a while, by Jingo. He's hitting the pace. Let him take his bumps. He's got to take em sooner or later, and better sooner than later, for the sooner he takes em, the quicker he'll learn. Bye-bye. I know you think I'm a semi-civilized colonial. I ain't. I'm giving you some wisdom gained from experience— you can't swim by hanging on to a root, you bet. Dunn listened in silence, then replied slowly, I say, old chap, there's something in that. My governor said something like that some time ago. 
a trainer's business is to train his men to do without him there you are cried martin that's philosophy mine is just horse sense still said dunn thoughtfully when a chap's in you've got to lend a hand you simply can't stand and look on dunn's words tone and manner reveal the great honest heart of human sympathy which he carried in his big frame oh hang it cried martin i suppose so guess i'll go along with you i can't forget you pulled me out too thanks old chap said dunn brightening up but you're busy and busy by jingo you'd think so if you'd watch me overnight and hear my brain sizzle but come along i'm going to stay with you but dunn's business was private and could be shared with no one it was difficult to check his friend's newly aroused ardor i say old chap he said you really don't need to come along i can do oh go to blazes i know you too well don't you worry about me you've got me going and i'm in on this thing so come along then dunn grew firm thanks awfully old man he said but it's a thing i'd rather do alone if you don't mind oh said martin all right but say if you need me i'm on you're a great old brick though Tra-la. as martin had surmised dunn found cameron in his rooms he was lying on his bed enjoying the luxury of a cigarette hello come right in old chap he cried in gay welcome have a no you won't have a cigarette have a pipe dunn gazed at him conscious of a rising tide of mingled emotions relief wrath pity disgust well i'll be hanged he said at last slowly but you've given us a chase where in the world have you been been oh here and there enjoying my emancipation from the thraldom in which doubtless you are still sweating and what does that mean exactly mean it means that i've cut the thing notebooks lectures professors exams the hell hypothec as our nanny would say at home oh rot cameron you don't mean it circumspice do you behold any suggestion of knotted towels and the midnight oil dunn gazed about the room it was a whirl of confusion pipes and pouches a large box of cigarettes a glass and a half empty decanter were upon the table boots caps golf clubs coats lay piled in various corners pardon the confusion dear sir cried cameron cheerfully and lay it not to the charge of my landlady that estimable woman was determined to make entry this afternoon but was denied cameron's manner was one of gay and nervous bravado come cameron said dunn sadly what does this mean you're not serious you're not chucking your year just that dear fellow and nothing less might as well be ploughed and what then are you going to do dunn's voice was full of a great pity what about your people what about your father and by jove that reminds me he's coming to town this evening you know they've been trying to find you everywhere this last day or two and who are they pray who the police said dunn bluntly determined to shock his friend into seriousness cameron sat up quickly the police what do you mean dunn what it means i do not know cameron i assure you don't you the police said cameron again it's a joke dunn i wish to heaven it were cameron old man but i have it straight from mr ray your family solicitor they want you old ray exclaimed cameron now what the deuce does all this mean don't you really know old chap said dunn kindly anxiety and relief struggling in his face no more than you what did the old chap say anyway something about a bank an irregularity he called it a serious irregularity 
he's had it staved off for a day the bank what in heaven's name have i got to do with the bank let's see i was there a week or ten days ago with he paused hang it i can't remember he ran his hands through his long black locks and began to pace the room dunn sat watching him hope and fear doubt and faith filling his heart in succession cameron sat down with his face in his hands what is it old man can't i help you said dunn putting his hand on his shoulder i can't remember muttered cameron i've been going at some time you know i have been falling behind and getting money off pots two weeks ago i got my monthly five-pound check and about ten days ago the usual fifty-pound check to square things up for the year fees etc seems to me i cashed those or did pots anyway i paid pots the deuce take it i can't remember i know i can carry a lot of scotch and never show it but it plays the devil with my memory cameron was growing more and more excited well old chap we must go right off to mr ray's office you don't mind mind not a bit old ray has no love for me i get him into too much trouble but he's a straight old boy just wait till i brush up a bit he poured out from a decanter half a glass of whiskey i'd cut that out if i were you said dunn later perhaps replied cameron but not to-day within twenty minutes they were ushered into mr ray's private office that gentleman received them with a gravity that was portentous in its solemnity well sir you have succeeded in your task he said to mr dunn i wish to thank you for this service a most valuable service to me to this young gentleman and to his family though whether much may come of it remains to be seen oh thanks said dunn hurriedly i hope everything will be all right he rose to go cameron looked at him quickly there was no mistaking the entreaty in his face mr ray spoke somewhat more hurriedly than his wont if it is not asking too much and if you can still spare time your presence might be helpful mr dunn stay if you can old chap said cameron i don't know what this thing is but i'll do better if you're in the game too it was an appeal to his captain and after that nothing on earth could have driven dunn from his side at this point the door opened and the clerk announced captain cameron sir mr ray rose hastily tell him he said quickly to wait he was too late the captain had followed close upon the heels of the clerk and came in with a rush now what does all this mean he cried hardly waiting to shake hands with his solicitor what mischief i beg your pardon captain said mr ray calmly let me present mr dunn captain dunn i might say of international fame the solicitor's smile broke forth with its accustomed unexpectedness but had vanished long before mr dunn in his embarrassment had finished shaking hands with captain cameron the captain then turned to his son well sir and what is this affair of yours that calls me to town at a most inconvenient time his tone was cold fretful and suspicious young cameron's face which had lighted up with a certain eagerness and appeal as he had turned toward his father as if in expectation of sympathy and help froze at this greeting into sullen reserve i don't know any more than yourself sir he answered i have just come into this office this minute well then what is it mr ray the captain's voice and manner were distinctly imperious if not overbearing mr ray however was king of his own castle will you not be seated sir he said pointing to a chair sit down young gentleman his quiet dignity his perfect courtesy recalled the captain to himself i beg your pardon mr ray but i am really very much disturbed can we begin at once he glanced as he spoke at mr dunn who immediately rose 
"'Sit down, Mr. Dunn,' said Mr. Ray quietly. "'I've asked this young gentleman,' he continued, turning to the captain, "'to remain. He has already given me valuable assistance. I fancy he may be able to serve us still further, if he will be so good.' Mr. Dunn bowed in silence. "'Now let us proceed with what must be an exceedingly painful matter for us all.' and out of which nothing but extreme candor on the part of Mr. Allen here, and great wisdom on the part of all of us, can possibly extract us. Mr. Ray's glance rested upon the captain, who bowed, and upon his son, who made no sign whatever, but remained with his face set in the same sullen gloom with which he had greeted his father. Mr. Ray opened a drawer, and brought forth a slip of paper. Mr. Allen, he said with a certain sharpness in his tone, please look at this. Cameron came to the desk, picked up the paper, glanced at it. "'It's my father's check,' he said, "'which I received about a week ago.' "'Look at the endorsement, please,' said Mr. Ray. Cameron turned it over. A slight flush came to his pale face. "'It's mine, too,' he hesitated. "'Mr. Potts.' "'Mr. Potts cashed it, then?' "'I suppose so. I believe so. I owed him money, and he gave me back some.' "'How much did you owe him?' a considerable amount. I had been borrowing from him for some time. As much as fifty pounds? I cannot tell. I did not keep count particularly. Potts did that. The captain snorted contemptuously. Do you mean to say, he began. Pardon me, Captain Cameron. Allow me, said Mr. Ray. Now, Mr. Allen, do you think you owed him as much as the amount of that check? I do not know, but I think so. Had you any other money? "'No,' said Ellen shortly. "'At least I may have had a little remaining from the five pounds I had received from my father a few days before.' "'You're quite sure you had no other money?' "'Quite certain,' replied Ellen. Again Mr. Ray opened his desk and drew forth a slip and handed it to young Cameron. "'What is that?' he said. Cameron glanced at it hurriedly and turned it over. "'That is my father's check for five pounds, which I cashed.' Mr. Ray stretched out his hand and took the check. "'Mr. Allen,' he said, "'I want you to consider most carefully your answer.' He leaned across the desk, and for some moments, they seemed like minutes to Dunn, his eyes searched young Cameron's face. "'Mr. Allen,' he said, with a swift change of tone, his voice trembling slightly, "'will you look at the amount of that check again?' Cameron once more took the check and glanced at it. "'Good Lord!' he cried. "'It is fifty. His face showed blank amazement. "'Quick!' low and stern came mr ray's voice yes he said it is for fifty pounds do you know that this is a forgery the punishment for which is penal servitude and that the order for your arrest is already given the captain sprang to his feet young cameron's face became ghastly pale his hand clutched the top of mr ray's desk twice or thrice he moistened his lips preparing to speak but uttered not a word good god my boy said the captain hoarsely don't stand like that. Tell him you are innocent. One moment, sir, said Mr. Ray to the captain. Permit me. Mr. Ray's voice, while perfectly courteous, was calmly authoritative. Mr. Allen, he continued, turning to the wretched young man, what money have you at present in your pockets? With shaking hands, young Cameron emptied upon the desk the contents of his pocket-book from which the lawyer counted out ten one-pound notes, half a sovereign and some silver. "'Where did you get this money, Mr. Allen?' The young man, still silent, drew his handkerchief from his pocket, touched his lips, 
and wiped the sweat from his white face. "'Mr. Allen,' continued the lawyer, dropping again into a kindly voice, "'a frank explanation will help us all.' "'Mr. Ray,' said Cameron, his words coming with painful indistinctness, "'I don't understand this. I can't think clearly. I can't remember. "'That money I got from Potts, at least I must have. "'I have had money from no one else.' "'My God!' cried the captain again. "'To think that a son of mine should—' "'Pardon me, Captain Cameron,' interrupted Mr. Ray, quickly and somewhat sharply. "'We must not prejudice this case. We must first understand it.' At this point Dunn stepped swiftly to Cameron's side. "'Brace up, old chap,' he said in a low tone. Then turning towards the captain, he said, "'I beg your pardon, sir, but I do think it is only fair to give a man a chance to explain.' "'Allow me, gentlemen,' said Mr. Ray, in a firm, quiet voice, as the captain was about to break forth. "'Allow me to conduct this examination.' Cameron turned his face toward Dunn. "'Thank you, old man,' he said, his white lips quivering. "'I will do my best, but before God I don't understand this.' "'Now, Mr. Allen,' continued the lawyer, tapping the desk sharply, "'here are two cheques for fifty pounds, both drawn by your father.' both endorsed by you, one apparently cashed by Mr. Potts, one by yourself. What do you know about this? Mr. Ray, replied the young man, his voice trembling and husky, I tell you I can't understand this. I ought to say that for the last two weeks I haven't been quite myself, and whiskey always makes me forget. I can walk around steady enough, but I don't always know what I am doing. That's so, sir, said Dunn quickly. I've seen him. And just what happened with these checks I don't know this check, picking up the one endorsed by Potts, I remember giving to Potts. The other check I remember is a five-pound one. Do you remember cashing that five-pound check? inquired Mr. Ray. I carried it about for some days. I remember that because I once offered it to Potts in part payment, and he said— The white face suddenly flushed a deep red. Well, Mr. Allen, what did he say? It doesn't matter, said Cameron. It may, and it may not, said Mr. Ray sharply. "'Your duty is to tell us.' "'Out with it,' said his father angrily. "'You surely owe it to me, to us all, to let us have every assistance.' Cameron paid no attention to his father's words. "'It really has no bearing, sir, but I remember saying as I offered a five-pound check, I wish it was fifty. "'And what reply did Mr. Potts make?' said Mr. Ray, with quiet indifference, as if he had lost interest in this particular feature of the case. Again Cameron hesitated. "'Come, out with it,' said his father impatiently. His son closed his lips as if in firm resolve. "'It really has nothing to do with the case.' "'Play the game, old man,' said Dunn quietly. "'Oh, all right,' said Cameron. "'It makes no difference anyway.' He said in a joke, "'You could easily make this fifty. "'It is such mighty poor writing.' Still Mr. Ray showed no sign of interest. He suggested in a joke, I understand, that the five-pound check could easily be changed into fifty pounds. That was a mere pleasantry of Mr. Potts, doubtless. How did the suggestion strike you, Mr. Allen? Allen looked at him in silence. I mean, did the suggestion strike you unpleasantly, or how? I don't think it made any impression, sir. I knew it was a joke. A joke, groaned his father. Good heavens! What do you think? Once more, permit me, said Mr. Ray quietly, with a wave of his hand toward the captain. This check of five pounds has evidently been altered to fifty pounds. The question is, by whom, Mr. Allen? Can you answer that? 
Again Mr. Ray's eyes were searching the young man's face. I have told you I remember nothing about this check. Is it possible, Mr. Allen, that you could have raised this check yourself without your knowing? Oh, nonsense, said his father hotly. Why make the boy lie? His son started as if his father had struck him. I tell you once more, Mr. Ray, and I tell you all, I know nothing about this check, and that is my last word. And from that position nothing could move him. Well, said Mr. Ray, closing the interview, we have done our best. The law must take its course. Good heavens, cried the captain, springing to his feet. Do you mean to tell me, Alan, that you persist in this cursed folly, and will give us no further light? Have you no regard for my name, if not for your own? He grasped his son fiercely by the arm. But his son angrily shook off his grasp. You, he said, looking his father full in the face, you condemned me before you heard a word from me, and now for my name or for yours I care not a tinker's curse. And with that he flung himself from the room. Follow him, said Mr. Ray to Dunn quietly. He will need you, and keep him in sight. It is important. All right, sir, said Dunn. I'll stay with him. And he did. End of chapter 3